This episode is brought to you by Capable Weighted Products. Capable's exclusive smart weight solutions provide caregivers and their loved ones with the calming effects of deep touch pressure. Discover how Capable's beautiful weighted blankets help you sleep all night and stylish wearables that provide sensory input throughout the day. Buy now at capable.com. That's cape spelled with an E, ubble.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Coffee with Caregivers. I'm your host, Jess Ronnie, and today I'm excited to introduce to you Crystal Morrison. Crystal is an executive advisor, a leader, a scientist, and a tech entrepreneur. While progressing in her career as a scientist, Crystal was also growing her family. One of her children is autistic and has additional mental health diagnoses, and two of her children were adopted and experienced extreme poverty and trauma early on in their lives. As a mom, she spent almost 20 years navigating the complex system of care and advocating for her children, which led to and inspired her to co-found Meerkat Village. Meerkat Village is a software company dedicated to improving the outcomes for children with special needs. Meerkat Village accomplishes this by building collaboration and communication among adults providing the care. On her journey, Crystal's met countless people working at the intersection of community, education, healthcare, and mental health. She also created the Village Vision podcast, which I'm excited to be on soon as a guest, to celebrate caregiver stories and ignite action. I know you are going to just love this episode. Crystal is so warm and authentic and real, and she and I just became fast friends. But before we dive in today, I just want to share about a couple of things that the Lucas Project has brewing. First of all, we are busy planning for our big Caring for the Caregiver fundraiser. This has become an annual fundraiser that we host every year in October. And this October, we are launching this fundraiser live on our Facebook page, The Lucas Project. And we will be sharing stories of caregivers. We'll be giving an update on where we are headed as a nonprofit and how we've accomplished our programs and initiatives in 2023. And we will also launch our silent auction that day. Um, Currently, we have tons of really, really cool and exciting products that will be available through the silent auction. And that fundraiser will close on October 15th. So just mark those dates on your calendar, October 1st to October 15th. Uh, We'll have a lot of fun, some giveaways, a silent auction, and you'll get an update on all the things we have going on at the Lucas Project. Secondly, uh, the end of September, the Lucas Project has been asked to provide 500 care packages for deserving parent caregivers in West Michigan. This this is a big ask, but we said yes. Um, We're gonna need a lot of product to fill all these care packages. Meyer has graciously donated a couple of gift cards so that we can buy product and a bunch of bags so that we can put all the product in. Uh, But we don't wanna say no to any of these caregivers. So if you could head to our website, thelucasproject.org and click on our Amazon wish list 
and maybe just send a couple of products our way, we would be extremely grateful. And I think that's all we have going on in the Lucas Project world. Um, of course, to stay connected with me, you can follow me on Facebook at Just Plus The Mess. Um, you can also head to my website, justplusthemess.com. Um, I'm going to be kind of out of commission for the next month or two as I finish up my fourth book, which I have to turn in shortly. Um, and I'm really excited about that, too. That's going to be a fantastic addition. Um, I believe for all of you parent caregivers out there. So keep your ears out, keep your ears out, keep your eyes out, <laughs> keep your eyes and your ears out for information on that book, which will be coming soon. I'd also, as always, love to hear what you think about this episode. So please rate and review, leave comments. Um, and if you think you'd be a good guest for the show, or if you know of somebody who would be a good guest for the show, please reach out and let us know about them at info at thelucasproject.org. And now, introducing Crystal Morrison. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you and just thrilled that we had a mutual friend that kind of connected us and we, we connected. We've been talking ever since um, just via email. And the first time we met, we gabbed like crazy. And I'm just really excited to have you on my podcast. Uh, to begin, can you let our listeners just know a little bit about yourself and your life? Yeah, sure thing, Jess. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Um, well, again, my name is Crystal, Crystal Morrison, um, and a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in rural Arkansas and uh, always wanted to be a scientist. I'm a scientist by training. I'm also a mom of three teenagers, uh, 14, 17, and 19 uh, at the time of this recording. Um, as part of my journey, I I uh, spent a lot of time uh, interfacing with care support and interfacing with the complex system of care. And, um, you know, one of my children is on the autism spectrum and has ADHD and some mental health diagnoses. And then two of my children were adopted and experienced some pretty extreme poverty and early trauma. And so I've just spent a lot of time um, advocating and providing care for them and uh, trying to make sure that I'm taking care of myself at the same time. Yeah, uh, when we first started to talk, we mm -hmm. kind of got into that adoption and that mm -hmm. trauma aspect. And yeah. I had mentioned as well, I have three adopted children and from outside appearances, um, maybe you wouldn't recognize that trauma, but when you even lose a parent at such a young age, there is definitely trauma that's associated with that. And I think a lot of people don't even recognize that trauma as being an additional need or unique need or a special need or however you want to classify it. Can you talk a little bit about how that has manifested in their lives and in your life? Um, and then we'll kind of go into the autism diagnosis of your other child. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of my children was adopted as an infant at five months, and my other child was adopted at five and a half. And so, you know, what they experienced early on was very different for both of them. But I, I think that there's always this question around their identity and where they came from and the why and the, you know, 
the experience that their birth parents were going through that that led to them ultimately being adopted by a white family in the United States. And there's always a lot of questions, but at the same time, as they're growing, there's the ongoing questions of identity and where do I fit in this world and loss, you know, profound loss that comes out in ways that, you know, I kind of least expected it sometimes, whether it's pushing the boundaries with me as a parent or, um, you know, seeing something that might spark, spark a, a toddler preschool age memory. You, you don't always necessarily know when those things are going to happen, but I think, um, I think we can't ever, even though they seem like they're well adjusted and healthy and doing well, and they are, um, we can never brush under the rug those early experiences that have left an imprint on them and will continue to raise up in any number of different ways as they get older. Mm -hmm. There's not an arrival point or anything you can fix as a mom. And that's (laughs) so difficult for me with the loss aspect of it. Um, Because you take it so personally as a mom too, like you want to fix it. You want to give your children the best that you can possibly give them and you just can't. It's like this limp that they just have to learn to live with in their life. Um, and so I really resonate with what you're saying with that. How, what strategies have you found that are helpful in helping them deal with those losses and identity issues? Yeah, I think I think in the case of my children and and without going into any details about their story, you know, it's very important to me that they know in a very clear way that them being adopted had nothing to do with them. It had nothing to do with them coming into this world. It had nothing to do with whether it was a boy or girl. It had nothing to do with them. Um, it was the circumstances that, you know, their birth parents were in at the time and their birth parents were were not capable in any way of being able to provide for and care for for any children. And so the decisions that their their birth parents had to make were extremely difficult, extremely difficult. And, you know, what what I constantly want my children to know is that that decision had nothing to do with them as a child and a human being or something that they did or that they did wrong. Um, and I think sometimes people say, well, my mom gave me away or my dad gave me away or gave me up. And that's for me as a birth parent, really hard for me to hear because in fact, their birth parents didn't throw them away. Mm-hmm. It was never like that at all. Um, their, their parents made a, a very difficult decision and was not about throwing them away or giving them away. Um, so for me, that's the, that's one significant strategy that I use with my children because I think it fundamentally helps them, um, kind of solidify their core, if that makes sense. If we can take that personal piece out of it and it not be their fault then it helps solidify their core and helps them grow from there and maybe deal with some of the other trauma-related things that ultimately come up. 
you find that you're constantly having to revisit these issues or as they age, do you feel like that core is being strengthened and they maybe believe you more when you say it because it's been reiterated so often? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it's definitely come up more as they've hit their teenage years. And it makes a lot of sense developmentally, right? That this is a time when, uh, you know, all, all kids are really exploring their identity. And so it's come up more as they've hit their teenage years. Um, and then again, it's not something that we talk about every day, but I do think that that core, um, is solidified in a big way. Um, but I do know that always in the back of their head, there's this nugget of why, why me? Like, why was I given up? And, and, and that's fair. It's totally fair. I don't want to deny them that feeling and that question, but I feel like they're, they're pretty solid, at least this, at this point and knowing that they weren't thrown away, that it wasn't because of them in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm proud of how far we've come on that at the same time. I I know it's not like it's the end of the road with these questions. (laughs) Right. No, I appreciate your honesty about that and and respect the fact that you don't want to dive real deeply into the personal details as well, but it's helpful with, with caregivers who might be listening, who do have Mm -hmm. adopted children, who have all those layers of trauma and, um, and even kind of the fantasy worlds that they often come up with in their own imaginations about how life could have been or would have been had they, you know, stayed with that bio family or whatever it looks like and constantly coming up against that as a mother Mm -hmm. and almost in a pathetic kind of way, like proving yourself over and over and over again. I love you. I want you. I'm here for you. Um, Yeah. And those are just really important messages, I think, for a lot of adopted parents to hear. Capable was inspired by an adoptive mom to a daughter with special needs. She understands caregivers are living on high alert with vulnerable nervous systems. To provide relief, she designed capable, smart-weighted products which use less weight more effectively so caregivers and their loved ones can experience felt safety, comfort, and connection. I personally love my capable soft plush weighted blanket, which rarely leaves my lap when I'm in my favorite chair. And the shoulder wrap relieves tension while I slowly wake up in the morning with my coffee and a good book. These are simple and effective ways I can easily care for myself as a busy mom and as a caregiver to a disabled son. If you also want true relaxation, Capable is now offering a 15% discount on any product to my listeners. Simply enter the code CARE15, that's C-A-R-E-15 at checkout. You will be investing in your well-being because, as I always say, the child is only as healthy as the caregiver. Give yourself a drop of hope and care today. Visit capable.com. That's cape spelled with an E, bubble.com. Or follow along on Facebook or Instagram. Pivoting a little bit to your, your son 
with autism and ADHD. Um, How have you seen that present difficulties, first of all, in his life and your life? Um, And then we'll, we'll kind of shift to the joys that you have discovered through those diagnoses. Yeah. So, you know, when you talk to a lot of parents that have a child with autism, some will tell you that they remember the exact day and time that their child received the diagnosis, right? And for me, I don't have that at all because from the time that he was a baby and infant, it's just, it seemed like a lot of challenges one right after another. And, and I don't think that that's because I was a first time mom and I thought everything was a challenge, but you know, he was a very, very colicky baby. He had, you know, severe eczema. Um, and then, you know, as a, as a baby and a toddler, he started having, you know, really significant meltdowns and biting other children and really aggressive behavior, um, that went on, you know, through preschool. And he was, you know, 95% of the time, a very sweet, loving boy. But if there was ever any disruption in his very rigid schedule, or if there was, you know, anyone that was kind of coming into his sphere and disrupting his focused activity time, he really unraveled in a big, big way. And, and so for me, uh, you know, that's what it started to look like early on. And, you know, as a parent, you're always faced with those judging eyes of, oh, you know, you're just, you just need to spank your child or you're just not a good parent or you need to be in control. And uh, I just instinctively knew that there was a lot more to it, um, that this child who I knew was very bright, very verbal, very intelligent was missing a, a lot of his ability to to regulate. And you could really see that he was experiencing a world through a very, very different lens. And so that was the early on challenges, a lot of very significant behavior challenges um, that... Did he sleep? Yeah. <laughs> so sleeping, sleeping was part of his very rigid schedule. He he did sleep very well, but he had to be in bed at eight o'clock. And if it was 8.30, he was already beyond tired and meltdowns happened. Um, but once he was asleep, he did sleep well. And so as he aged and progressed, how did you manage these behaviors? Oh, um, yeah, it's traumatic for me just, just yeah. thinking about it and remembering it. At the time, Jess, um, I lived in northern New Mexico and, you know, there's not a lot of resources in terms of child therapy. And, and so, you know, he had the opportunity to participate in a therapeutic preschool program for a couple hours twice a week. And that really helped me to see different ways of managing the behavior by, you know, really interceding with empathy. He wanted people to understand like why he was upset or what triggered it. And so there were strategies that I learned through that, like interceding with empathy and letting him know that I understood he was upset about a crack in his cereal bar. right? And those often would help in diffusing, but certainly as he got into school age and struggled with a lot of fine motor skills, um, 
you know, he was getting bigger, the aggressive behavior became more violent. And so we're constantly trying to modify those strategies. And the truth is, is that I'm his person. So I'm, I'm the one that can diffuse and calm him. <laughs> And I can't go with him everywhere all day long. So really had to teach a lot of these strategies that every to everyone with the, that was in his spe- sphere. And that works sometimes and not well other times. And it's exhausting for you, the person yeah. they want. Um, we deal with that too. And just throughout the past couple of years, Luke has kind of transferred that loyalty to a couple of other people. Mm-hmm. That has been really helpful. But I love that statement that you said. Um, what was it? Understanding with empathy? Yes. That's the- and understanding and interceding with empathy. Yeah. I love that. And I just think back upon our situation because Lucas wasn't diagnosed with autism until he was 15 or 16 years old. Mm-hmm. We lived in rural Tennessee and nobody said, you know, I think this kid has autism. And looking back, he was like the poster child yeah. for an autism diagnosis. Like right. every single check mark you could check, he yeah. had. And when he was finally diagnosed, he had level three autism. Mm-hmm. And we used to get so frustrated as parents because he would do these things and we had no concept of understanding mm-hmm. within the autism framework. Sure. He was diagnosed and we started to understand autism. It was like, oh, well, this is why he needs it this way. So that understanding yes. with empathy became so much more attainable as a caregiver because now you're understanding, well, this is just how his brain navigates the world. That's right. Not really a big deal for us just to, you know, set aside what we're feeling like we need. Um, And even, for example, this morning, he's he's home for two weeks um, off of school. And so I've been trying to get him out for a walk. Yesterday Mm -hmm. was kind of a challenge because that's not his normal routine. Like he rest and then he goes to his favorite brown chair and he plays his iPad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Luke, let's, let's try to go for a walk. Let's get some fresh air. And you know, it's beautiful and blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, putting his feet under, like tucking his feet under would not let me put his socks and shoes on. And I said, okay, let's count to three. And I just slowed the whole process way down here. I'm running around like a you know, woman with her head cut off <laughs> things to do, and I just want to put his socks and shoes on and go for a walk. Right. Load the whole thing way down. And I was like, okay, mom's going to count to three, one, two, three. And then he slowly lifted his foot and put it out for me to put the sock and shoe <laughs> on. And I just thought I should know that. I know yeah. he needs time to wrap his mind around what we're going to do, especially mm-hmm. when it's a change in his routine. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't honoring that in that moment. Yeah. And as soon as I honored it, he was like, okay, I can do this. You need to give me a little bit of time to wrap my mind around it. And then I'm happy to go for a walk. <laughs> so, yes. Um, but I love that phrasing. I'm going to, I wrote that down here. Understanding <laughs> with empathy. I'm going to use that. Um, so, what are your goals or his goals for his future? What do you hope he can accomplish or what does that look like? Because it's so different for every individual. It's it's really different and and it evolves significantly. You know, I just just last week, Jess, I was at the National Autism Conference and I was telling a parent, you know, my my son's now 19, and I was telling another parent that two years ago. I hoped that he would be able to graduate high school. 
Um, and beyond that, I just wasn't sure. And he was at a time that was very, very hard. And I, I even thought that jail might be part of his future and, and certainly not a hope and a dream for him. But, you know, I, I, he was seeing that as something that very much could happen. Um, and I, I'm happy to say that he's made an immense amount of progress. He's been able to have a part-time job, which has just been this amazing blossoming experience for him. I can't even say enough good things about it. But right now, my hopes and dreams for him is that he's going to be able to to live independently and support himself and be content and healthy in his life. Um, and that's a very real goal for him at this point. Um, I'm extremely proud of him because he, um, you know, did a full year at a university. He adjusted to on-campus living. Um, he is going back for his second year. And, you know, I won't let him hear this right now, <laughs> but to me, it almost doesn't matter if he graduates with a four-year degree. I mean, I hope that he can. Mm-hmm. I am so overjoyed by the fact that this child, who I thought two years ago might be in jail at this point, has been able to live in a dorm and have a roommate and go to class. Like, that's a freaking joy. <laughs> and so, really, we just celebrate the heck out of all of the wins that yeah. come. Um, and so, yeah, my dream and hope right now is that he can live independently, take care of himself, and be content and healthy. That's awesome. Um, okay, so now tell us about how you've used all these caregiving experiences to create resources for caregivers. Um, (laughs) You've created a village called Meerkat Village. So explain a little bit about what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So Jess, you know, I said earlier that I've navigated this crazy system for 20 years and you've done the same. Um, And, you know, the frustrating thing for me was that I spent and continue to spend an incredible amount of time trying to keep everybody on the same page. And so a uh, created Meerkat Village, it's a digital platform that allows the parents like you or I to create a digital village for their child and then invite in all of the professional providers like therapists and teachers, but also all of the natural supports like maybe coaches or Sunday school teachers, maybe grandparents, all of the people that are truly part of that child's village. It's um, HIPAA and FERPA compliance. So when a parent invites someone in, they are completing the HIPAA consent authorization form. Um, You can chat back and forth within the platform, communicate, collaborate, but you can also share strategies and action plans uh, and track the child's progress over time. So maybe there's a strategy that's working really well in the classroom that the teacher wants you to try at home and at grandma's house. Or maybe there's something that's working really well at grandma's house that you want to try in the classroom. That's how we can start sharing these strategies and really making sure that we're staying on the same page and following through. Um, and it's a hundred percent related to my experience. Um, and, you know, really wanting to help caregivers and parents everywhere be the support system that, you know, our families need and deserve. 
Mm -hmm. I love it. I often um, speak on this very issue about how professionals and caregivers need to stop fighting one another and come together and form that tribe because we all really want the same thing for this child who's in the middle of it all. Like we want to have the best life possible. And I feel like it's so often them against us and Mm -hmm. we need to stop that and come together and join hands. And this is an amazing, amazing resource for this kind of collaboration to occur. Now it's a a membership-based platform, correct? Yes. So the parent would create a subscription on our website and then download the platform. Um, They can manage their subscription um, and be able to purchase multiple villages if they want actually. Um, So it's all managed through our website and then they would download the platform on the app store or Google play. Okay. And how much is a subscription? It's $19 a month. Okay. Um, or $199 a year. Okay. And um, the parent can invite in as many people as they want. There is no fee to those you invite in to participate at all. And you can have as many people engaged as, you know, as, as is in your village, your real village. I love that. And can you have multiple children under that subscription fee? Um, yes, you can. Okay. Oh, that would be a great deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> all eight of my little villages <laughs> we'd have our own little minecraft village going on <laughs> right right so, um well we are running out of time here um i have three takeaway questions that i love to ask every guest sure. the first question is how has being a caregiver changed you it has absolutely changed my my perspective on the world and and very much uh, given me a lens of compassion and, and empathy. Um, I think when you encounter a person, you really never know their story and what they're going through. Even if there's someone who looks to be happy, healthy and put together, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. And being a caregiver has definitely given me that perspective. <laughs> and um, I, I tend to give people a lot more grace um, then maybe I would have without this experience. I love that. And I would probably echo a similar sentiment. You start mm-hmm. to really see people. And I think almost every single person on this planet can use some care to some degree. Absolutely. And whether that is those invisible needs, we started off talking about um, mm-hmm. with the trauma. I mean, we all have trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Something. Um, and sure. just really seeing people and entering into their spaces. And just, mm-hmm. I think kindness goes a long way. We need a lot more of it. Absolutely. Second question. If you had one hour all to yourself, how would you spend it? Um, in bed reading. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Horizontal reading. <laughs> yes. Quiet time. What are you reading right now? Um, so right now I am reading... Um, American Prometheus about Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really heavy. <laughs> I know. Like, you know, you think it'd be some like easy romance novel. Right. But yeah, yeah. That's actually <laughs> what I'm reading. <laughs> you are a scientist. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't, can't ever take that away. There is like a heavy part of your brain <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I still have to feed that too. Right. And last but not least, how many cups of coffee are you drinking these days? Um, well, I do like coffee, but I tend to drink more Diet Dr. Pepper 
uh, then coffee. And I probably drink, sadly as it is, four to six Diet Dr. Peppers a day, which is probably like three cups of coffee. Is that due to your rural Arkansas upbringing? Probably. Because <laughs> when we lived in rural Tennessee, that was like the thing. Not That's the thing. I mean, I, about one right now. Yes. <laughs> not necessarily the Diet Dr. Pepper, but Dr. Pepper was like a real a real thing. And I would, I'm from Michigan. Like, that's not really a thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do also like coffee, but I, I definitely have the Diet Dr. Pepper more on the the regular uh, intravenous line all day long. <laughs> whatever you need to, yeah, to keep whatever going. Whatever gets it done. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. And where can people find out more about Meerkat Village? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to our website at meerkatvillage.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, but I encourage you to follow us and share with all of the others that you know that could be- benefit from having a more cohesive, collaborative village. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for joining us today on Coffee with Caregivers. And if you'd like to be considered as a guest for a future episode, please reach out at jess at thelucasproject.org. And as always, let's do what we do best. Just keep living.